Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Peter Kroll, helping ordinary people learn to lead small group Bible studies. And so when someone can simply invite a few of their neighbors into the security of their their living room or their kitchen table to open up the Bible and talk about it, we might have an opportunity to connect with people who would never come with us to church, people who might never listen to a sermon uh, or, or a radio broadcast. And because we know them, we have this relationship with them, we can bring them in to read the Bible with us in a non-threatening way and then just talk about it. Peter Kroll, next. Perhaps you've begun to learn how to study the Bible for yourself, and you've wondered whether you could competently lead others in Bible study. Peter Kroll believes it's entirely possible, and he's written Sowable Word to provide the vision and skills you need to start a group, develop good preparation habits, conduct a persuasive discussion, and shepherd group members through what they're learning. Peter Kroll is president of Disciple Makers Collegiate Ministry. Peter, tell us why you wrote Soulable Word and how it's a sequel to Knowable Word. I wrote this book to help people uh, acquire the confidence and skills they need to help others get into the scriptures with them in small group settings. I have found that a a lot of Christians are often afraid to study the Bible with people because they don't know what to say or they're afraid to mess up or they don't think they're qualified uh, to teach the scripture in home group settings or in the workplace over lunch breaks or that sort of thing. And so I wanted to help people know that the Lord wants us to help get his word out and ordinary people have that opportunity to open up the scriptures, read it together with others and discuss it. So, so you're saying, for those that might be concerned about that, if they don't have formal, some kind of formal biblical or theological education, or they're not leaders in their churches, you use the word ordinary people, you're saying such people, still, God can still use them to lead a Bible study. Yeah, we ought to do the, the best we can to, to understand the Scripture, and that's what my, my books are for. The first book, Knowable Word, is to help people understand the Bible for themselves. And then this second book, Sowable Word, is about how to then teach it to others in these small settings. Why have a Bible study? Why have a small group Bible study? What's the point? I think the chief advantage of a small group Bible study is the opportunity to interact with other people in a very safe setting. And so when someone can simply invite a few of their neighbors into the security of their their living room or their kitchen table to open up the Bible and talk about it, we might have an opportunity to connect with people who would never come with us to church, people who might never listen to a sermon uh, or, or a radio broadcast. And because we know them, we have this relationship with them, we can bring them in to read the Bible with us in a non-threatening way and then just talk about it. 
And through that interaction with them, we can see where they are. We can engage their hearts, find out what they think, what their questions are, to see how the scripture might be working on them. And the main reason? We do it because we want to help people know our God and Father through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly, it's, it's a good motivation to get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ, but you said just to be careful to try to keep the, the main thing the main thing and not it to turn into something where you're just trying to get to know people better. Small group Bible studies provide opportunities to, to grow together as a community, to grow together in Christ, to reach out to non-believers in our community, and to do all of these things. But we do have to be careful that the community of the group doesn't end up being the main thing. So we want the main thing to be the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And as that's the main thing, the group will grow and people may be attracted to it. We shouldn't be afraid to have new people join us or sometimes uh, current members to to depart and move on. Obviously, there are many forms of Christian teaching. Uh, there's the sermon, there's the Sunday school class, and other things, but what differentiates a, a small group Bible study from these other forms? In a small group Bible study, we draw on that advantage of interaction, being able to engage people in dialogue to then teach the scriptures to them in a dialogical format, so through questions and answers to help the group work together to discover what the text is teaching. And so as we do that, people acquire great confidence in reading the Bible, in finding confidence in their ability to meet with God, to read and understand, because through some questions and opening up discussion for the group, uh, we can, can then lead people to the main point of the passage. And sometimes people are afraid of that dialogical interactive environment because we, we fear that it'll get out of control too quickly or that it means anything goes. Say anything and we can't challenge it. In, in the book, I try to help people understand how to lead a conversation that has boundaries and limits and doesn't get out of control so that just anything goes. Well, the book is Soulable Word, Helping Ordinary People Learn to Lead Bible Studies, and th there's so many things to ask you, and I know our time is limited, Peter, and that's why people can get the book and, and read it for themselves, but uh, in terms of that fear of uh, things getting off track or going down rabbit trails or one person coming to dominate, uh, these kind of things can, I, I think you said, terrify the potential leader. Uh, is there a, a tip or two that you can give to, to keep it on track if it starts to seem like it's a, you know, kind of a runaway train? I think one of the most helpful tools in my tool belt is one simple question that that a leader can pull out at almost any time when they're not sure where else to go. And that question is, so how are you seeing that in the passage? And yeah. that's it. So, and I'm not saying that one question solves every problem, but that's a question that helps in many, many situations. If people start rabbit trailing too much, they have abandoned the text. They're now talking only about their feelings or their past history or their own philosophy or whatever, we can pull it back in with a question such as, so how are you seeing that in the passage? Because we want to, we want to get the nosedive factor is what I call it. I want to have people with open Bibles in their laps and I want their noses to dive back into the passage. 
it's important to set expectations at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So when I'm recruiting people, inviting them out, I let them know. Some of us are, get together and our goal is to take a look at what the Bible has to say. Maybe even if we're looking at the gospel, I'll say, take a look at what Jesus had to say about himself. And for unbelievers especially, I'll let them know, you don't have to agree with what it says. I ask only that you be honest about what it says. That's our goal, is we're trying to be honest about what it says. And then we'll talk about how we engage with those claims and, and interact with those claims. But setting those expectations to let people know what this is about. This isn't just a discussion group on whatever topics come to mind. This is a discussion about what this text says and therefore how we will engage with that in our lives. In terms of what you're talking about here, Peter, um, the small group Bible study in your book, Soul of a Word, how do you select the content? I mean, in other words, are you always looking at a book of the Bible and working through that or uh, just maybe a doctrine or, or what? For most small groups that I lead, we are working our way through a book of the Bible. And so I can give people an expectation. We are going to study the book of Ephesians mm -hmm. or we're going to take a look at the, the book of John and we're going to do it for so many weeks. So there's a beginning and an ending time on it. Not just a time for the meeting, but a length of meetings, a number number of meetings. And as we study it, we're going to work our way through the book so that we can follow the argument that the author of that book is laying out for us to consider. And in terms of recruitment, you use the word recruitment. That is, you, you are actually looking to invite people. Yeah, uh, I, I don't just want to tell people that there is a meeting and then wait to see who shows up, but I want to recruit, I want to invite, let people know what's happening. And that can involve visiting my neighbors and extending an invitation uh, to, to join me for this study, or even talking to people in my church as we are starting up our, our home groups, our growth groups is what we call them in our church. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking to new visitors and specifically inviting them out, letting them know how much we would love for them to be a part of it with us. So in terms of how you recruit people to the study, Peter, that obviously depends upon whether it's in the local church or if it's in a neighborhood or some other context. That's right. And we, we set those parameters up front and at different times we might do different things. So I, I would suggest to anybody that if you want to lead a small group in your church and inviting people from your church, it's important to have the blessing of the leadership of the church to do that. So we want to submit to our leaders mm -hmm. uh, as we do these things. But we can define the group for whatever is going to best serve the people that we want to have be a part of it. And the question is, what will most help this group of people to know Jesus better? That might mean that this study is primarily evangelistic and we're going to be really clear and really simple and straightforward and we're going to focus on gospel texts or, or other texts that are explaining the gospel so that we can win them. Other 
Bible studies might be more focused on growth for Christians. And so working through a variety of books of the Bible will help secure that goal. And even other Bible studies might have more of a goal of training with them. So maybe I want to train people how to study the Bible for themselves. And this small group Bible study we have involves homework assignments that they have to prepare before coming. And I might have higher expectations and commitment expected for people to be a part of it. You talk about, uh, in your book, Soulable Word, uh, Peter, helping ordinary people learn to lead Bible studies, uh, an approach that you also um, use and introduce. And actually, you, you say you don't actually, you didn't come up with it. It's something that we use in our everyday lives out of the OIA, observe, interpret, and apply. And yet you bring that into the small group Bible study. The OIA method of Bible study is simply a way to try to codify how all communication works between people. And so as you mentioned, the acronym OIA stands for Observe, Interpret, and Apply. And this is a, a process we can follow. In fact, we are following it all the time when we communicate with others. So if I were to walk up to you on the street, Bill, and look you in the eye and stick out my right hand towards you, you would observe the gesture, even if you don't know who I am, <laughs> you would interpret the meaning of it, that I want to greet you, and then you would apply that meaning by either taking my hand and shaking it, or dialing 911 or some, something else. <laughs> so we want to observe, er, observe the text to mm -hmm. figure out what does it say. Then we interpret the text to figure out what does it mean. And then we apply it to figure out how ought I to respond to it? How ought I to change as a result of it? And so this obviously uh, entails some kind of preparation on the part of the, the leader. Yes, the leader needs to, to do study on the text to understand it. And the, the climax of the, this method is, is in the interpretation phase, what is the author's main point in this text? And everything else hangs on that main point. And we want to boil that down as simply and as clearly as we can. Once I understand that main point, then I can do legitimate application I can connect it to the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially if I'm in the Old Testament foreshadowing Christ or in the New Testament reflecting on the work of Christ. But we want to get that author's main point. And so if I'm leading a Bible study, it's pretty critical for me to have a grasp before meeting of what I think the author's main point is in this text, because then that helps me to lead the discussion in a way that helps get the group to that main point in a dialogical, conversational fashion. And that starts with the very first words of the discussion. I think one of the hardest questions to ask, to figure out what question to ask, is the first question. I call it the launching question. And that launching question is the moment at which the leader is planting his or her flag on the, the, the summit of the mountain, which represents the main point in this text. And so I want to ask a launching question that gets people thinking about that main point, even before we've looked at the text. 
and it could be some sort of application or thought question or you know what do you make of these things going on in the world that are relevant to whatever the main point of the passage is and that sets the tone so that once we look into the text i'm to guide the process of discovery in leading people up the trail to that mountain peak to that main point any suggestions for for the leader if you have a group that's suddenly or maybe always quiet you have a group of introverts <laughs> for example mm. uh, i think one of the best things we can do is ask good questions mm. that provoke conversation so that means we don't want to ask questions that could be answered with a single word. So we don't want to ask true or false questions or yes or no questions. They don't stimulate discussion. It just gives me a fill in the blank. And that's the other thing is we don't want to fill in the blank question. So which city did Paul go to in this passage that we read? <laughs> that doesn't start a discussion. But the, the question of what do you know about that city? Do you know anything about the ancient world? and why Paul may have gone to that city. Those are the kinds of questions that will provoke discussion and conversation. Another kind of question that tends to shut down conversation is a read the leader's mind kind of a question. Mm. So even if the question can't be answered with only one word, if the question has only one correct answer, then it's, it shuts down conversation. Because then either people will answer it to humor you or they won't answer it because it's so obvious that nobody wants to bother speaking up and they feel demeaned or condescended to for having to answer it. So we want to ask lots of why questions. What's happening? What do you make of that? Or questions that help us understand who, what does this text tell us about who Jesus is? Those are all questions that will help to provoke conversation and even uh, stimulate some of those introverts. And if all else fails, another common uh, tool for small group leaders is you can ask people directly by name to answer a question. Hey, Bill, you've been kind of quiet this whole time, but I would love to know what, what you think. You know, where do you see this passage connecting with that thing that's going on in the world right now how do how might this speak to that in a in a gentle way that doesn't completely make them feel embarrassed by being put on the spot but makes them feel respected because we want we want to hear from them we care about what they have to say I, I did want to ask just a couple of sort of nuts and bolts things I could, I guess I could have asked earlier, Peter. One is, some might be thinking, what about all those good study booklets that are out there by the navigators or by uh, InterVarsity or whatever? I mean, why not just use a study booklet? There are many great study booklets out there. And I think that using a booklet like that is better than not leading an interactive discussion at all. So... That's great. And those booklets can help train us in how to lead discussions and how to lead Bible studies. I think the, the, the biggest glaring weakness of any study booklet, no matter how accurate it is to the text, the biggest glaring weakness is that the author of that booklet does not know the people in the room mm. the way you do. Mm -hmm. 
And so any study booklet will fall short at connecting specifically and practically. And the author of that booklet does not know, cannot observe which parts of the text are resonating the most with the people in the room. Whereas the leader in the room sees that, knows these people, presumably has relationships with these people, and can make the most of how the Holy Spirit is at work spontaneously in people's lives to draw them out more, to, to see what, ex, what is really connecting with them and build off of that to help get them to the main point, that sort of thing. And I did want to ask you, in this day and age in which we live, particularly looking back over the last couple of years, I think lots of Bible studies either were formed or moved to Zoom. What about that, having a, a video either a video component or option to the Bible study, or can you can this apply if it's entirely on uh, some kind of video platform like Zoom? Sure, that, that's up to the leader and the, and the, the situation to figure out what's going to work best. But again, we have that flexibility. If our chief objective is to help people know God better through his son, Jesus Christ, we can make use of any and every means to do that. Sometimes the best way to do that is to make sure we have all of the bodies present in the room so that we can have that personal level of interaction. But a Bible study can be led and take place effectively completely over Zoom uh, or over some telecommunications uh, software uh, or, or even a hybrid potentially. Yeah, my... Uh, wife led a uh, Bible study with a few people over Zoomed over the course of the pandemic. And over the course of that Bible study, one of the participants in this study became a believer in Jesus Christ. Mm. She was converted through this entirely on Zoom Bible study in the Gospel of John. And uh, the the only thing I personally as a leader would be more hesitant to do would, would be a hybrid, some people in the room, some people on the computer. Uh, we can do that if we have to, but I find as a leader myself, my attention is so distracted and divided in the different forms. I would rather do, uh, if, if I find the need, the circumstances make it so that we have to have similar communications here, then I might even prefer just to have everybody use that because it's then easier to, mm -hmm. to get a, a gallery mode where you can see all the faces in one place and just, just managing the dynamics. You, you did bring up something, well, many interesting things about leading Bible studies, but one, the temptation might be when you're leading to think, uh, these people are looking for me to hold forth, bring out some sort of profound insight, which, which may happen. But you said, don't try to do that. Don't try to bring that profundity to the Bible study, as tempting as it might be. Yeah, that is a, a common danger for leaders of small groups or even teachers, preachers. They can face the same, the, the same temptation. And that temptation is that I know how deeply I have been impacted by the teachers in my life. Those who have spoken into me have affected me in profound ways. So I now very much want to have that same sort of impact on other people. And if I lead a Bible study for that reason, in order to have an impact, it, it, it sounds noble at first. I can say, I want people to be changed. 
which is great. Mm-hmm. We want people to know Jesus Christ, but it's very subtle and very dangerous for a leader to very easily shift the focus from the Lord Jesus to the impact I can have on these people mm. as a leader in their life, as an influencer. And I start thinking that my words are what's going to cause the impact. And that's very, very dangerous. And it undermines the power of the whole thing. The book is Sowable Word, Helping Ordinary People Learn to Lead Bible Studies. My guest is the author, Peter Kroll. In terms of people uh, that might make good leaders, Peter, any suggestions? I mean, do people have to have a sense of calling to this? Or could it just be something like, "I I I think I could do that. I think I could do this. I think I could learn to do this. What about that, that sense of calling to versus just a skill that we can learn to help people um, understand Scripture. Sure. Well, well, I would say, Bill, that calling involves a component of skill. It involves a component of availability, and it involves a component of external recognition. When, When other people see something in you and say, hey, I think you should do this, all of these things can can play into that sense. But with even with that said, I do think that that anyone who has learned to study the Bible can help other people to study the Bible. And those skills can be developed and acquired because this is much of how the kingdom of Jesus Christ expands is through, people in relationship with one another spreading the word in addition to of course the foundational fundamental preaching ministry in the local assembly Mm -hmm. we have people out in the community with one another uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, letting the word of christ dwell in them richly and speaking to one another from the scripture as long as it is called today lest they be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, as Hebrews 3 puts it. Well, our time is just about up. In terms of, uh, as you learn to study in, in the group, you have the application. Is there a place for kind of taking that application somewhere out into the community with some sort of service? When we think about application, I often try to help people think of it in terms of concentric circles. So here's where we are, and we're going to think of ever-increasing circles of application that go out from us. So the smallest circle is, how does my life need to change in light of this text? The next circle out might be, how does our group, our small group, need to change? How can we put this into practice as a group? We can move out from that. How could our church put this into practice and move out from that? How can we put this into practice out in the world to help others come to grips with the truth of what this text is teaching us? So we can think at any of those levels, and we ought to think at all of them over time, even if we don't hit every one of them in a single discussion. Peter, what encouragement would you give to the person listening to this, that they can lead a Bible study, that perhaps that's a ministry they should consider? I would encourage you to consider who the Lord has put into your life and how you can help them to meet Jesus or grow in Jesus by studying his word, because the Lord may have put you in their lives for that reason. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Peter Kroll.
president of Disciple Makers Collegiate Ministry, and author of Sowable Word, helping ordinary people learn to lead Bible studies. I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People. Thanks for listening.